0: Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the seventieth anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world.
1: My name is Bastian Wurgenings, Ich come aus Deutschland. My name is Bastian Vergennings. I live in Germany and I've been tuning into KBS World Radio's German service for the past five years. It keeps me updated on news in Korea and was especially helpful when I was getting ready for my trip to Korea in 2022. Before KBS World Radio, Korea was just a country between Japan and North Korea to me. But as I tuned in, I became more and more curious about the country. When I visited Korea last year, I was finally able to see for myself everything I heard and read about on the radio and on the website. Now, KBS World Radio is definitely a part of my daily routine. Congratulations on your 70th anniversary. I hope you continue to add great programs for many decades to come. 70 years with
0: KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are.
2: it's monday the 9th of january and welcome to a new week here on crow 24 i'm your host kwan jangwu talks on lifting the indoor mask mandate could begin next week according to a top health official this comes as daily covid19 cases hit a two-month low we'll have more in news briefing shortly in his new year's address president yun vowed to reform the national pension system which is set to be depleted by 2057 we discuss what needs to be done for our in-depth today And then coming up for Monday's sports roundup, we look at Korea's final roster for the upcoming World Baseball Classic and more. We have all that and more for today's Mm Korea (music) 24 Chung gi the nation's chief advisor on infectious diseases, said talks on lifting the indoor mask mandate could begin next week, but under one condition, if the rate of critical COVID-19 cases stabilises this week. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio News Editor, Daniel Che. Daniel, hello.
3: Hello there, Daniel. good to be with you again on this brand new week. Let's start things off
2: with the latest from the National Advisory Committee on Infectious Disease Crisis Response. The decision on making changes to the indoor mask mandate hinges largely on the number
3: of critically ill patients. That's right. In a press briefing on Monday, Chung gi brought up the timetable for discussions on lifting the indoor mask mandate to begin. He emphasized the number of critically ill COVID patients is the remaining concern, as about half of critical patients eventually succumb to the virus. And the current criticality rate rather should be brought down through oral treatment and vaccinations. This is what he had to say the number of critically
4: ill
5: patients is a little bit problematic if critically ill cases rise just about half of them die that has not improved and any improvement on that matter is highly unlikely however if we see a drop in the number of critically ill patients
0: i believe that we will be able to discuss the issue of adjusting the indoor mask
6: mandate sometime next week Uh, 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 The chief
3: COVID uh, advisor noted South Korea is seeing a massive number of infections while passing the peak in the current outbreak, and still he stressed the number of infections is not rising explosively and the nation is medically prepared to deal with the situation.
6: If the situation in China has
5: already reached its peak, and the numbers are falling in the big cities, the infection will not spread any further. The number will fall for a while, and the number of infections among the arrivals in South Korea is very small.
3: So on Monday, South Korea's daily virus tally dipped to the lowest level in nine weeks. Uh, Of the 109 new cases of overseas infection, 74 were from China. Quarantine authorities continue to work to contain the influx of the virus from overseas measures, including requiring arrivals from mainland China to present COVID-19 test results before boarding flights to Korea and also undergoing another test upon arrival. So I suppose we can remain optimistic about the mandate being removed soon.
2: Okay, let's turn to other headlines now. Many Koreans were woken up in the early hours of Monday morning to blaring alarms from their mobile phones as an earthquake with a magnitude of 3.7 struck off the coast of Incheon, setting off the National Emergency Alert Message System. Can you tell us
3: more? Right, so this happened on Monday morning. The quake was reported at 1.28 a.m. in waters about 25 kilometers west of Kanwa County, according to the Korea Meteorological Administration. It was initially presumed to be magnitude 4, which was quite disturbing. Uh, That's why it triggered early earthquake warning systems that included sending an emergency text notification of the event to the mobile phones of those in Seoul metropolitan area. After additional analysis, it was downgraded later. The depth of the epicenter was estimated at 19 kilometers so far, we have no reports of damage. At least 30 calls were made to anti disaster authorities in Incheon from those feeling the quake, and I heard even some who are residing even further out from Incheon, closer to Seoul, felt a bit of a tremor. It's the first time this year a tremor with magnitude 3 or higher hit the peninsula or surrounding sea waters. It was the strongest quake in the capital area since observations began in 1978. Last time a quake over 3.5 hit the country was around 70 days ago when a 4.1 quake occurred in Kui County in North Chungcheong Province on October 29th. And if you want to go back to some of the more deadly incidents involving uh, this force, force of nature was back in November 15, 2017. The 5.5 Puang earthquake was the second largest in the country's modern history, injuring 90 people and causing around $52 million in damage. Likely the largest earthquake ever to be triggered by enhanced geothermal power, and larger than any predicted by existing theories. Moving
2: on, rival political parties clashed on the first day of January's extraordinary session at the National Assembly. This, of course, uh, was uh, requested unilaterally by the main opposition
3: Democratic Party, which has a majority in parliament. Well, on Monday, DP floor leader Park hong Un called for the administration's senior security officials to be held accountable, referring to North Korea's recent drone incursion as a security crisis. He also urged the ruling bloc to fulfill its duty by handling livelihood bills such as the one aimed at extending a freight rate system guaranteeing basic wages for truckers. The PPP accused the DP of attempting to protect party leader E. J. Myung from indictment by abusing lawmakers' immunity from arrest while Parliament is in session. Uh, e. is set to appear for a questioning by the prosecution on Tuesday regarding third party bribery allegations. The ruling party also criticized the main opposition for suggesting that classified military information be disclosed during the plenary session, saying such an inquiry should be held behind closed doors by the Parliamentary Defence Committee.
2: In other news, a three term lawmaker Antosu has declared his bid for the chairmanship of the ruling people power party.
3: He highlighted his strengths in a press conference. So what did he say? So during the press conference at the National Assembly on Monday, he said he will be a chief that lends support to the president rather than someone who leans on him. And the ruling bloc's national convention is slated for March 8th, by the way, and highlighting his closely-needed link to Yoon in terms of political career, anja so the doctor and tech entrepreneur Trump politician emphasized no one is more devoted to ensuring the administration successfully runs state affairs than him. Ahn contributed to Yoon's victory in the March election by merging his candidacy with the then-PPP candidate. Ahn's People's Party later merged with the PPP. There are others throwing their hats in the ring as well. Former PPP floor leader Kim Gyeon declared his bid for the chairmanship on December 27th, held an inaugural event for his campaigning team on Monday. Uh, Yoon Sang-hyun has also declared his candidacy for the post. Former floor leader Na Kyung-won and former presidential candidate Yu Zing min are reportedly mulling doing the same.
2: On to the latest in the continuing analysis of the failings by the South Korean military over the recent North Korean drone incursion. Military authorities admitted that there were insufficiencies in information sharing and cooperation between the Army's First Corps that first detected the North Korean drones and the Capital
3: Defense Command. Can you tell us more? Well, the JCS made the acknowledgement for the first time via a text notice to reporters on Sunday. This follows claim by the main opposition Democratic parties that the drone detection was not properly conveyed to the Capital Defense Command or the CDC. Uh, but the JCS refuted the claim that the military recognized the drone six minutes after its initial detection, saying the drone was still north of the border when its unusual flight path was reported to authorities six minutes after he was first spotted. As for the military issuing a readiness posture over an hour and a half later, the JCS said appropriate response had been taken, including enhanced air surveillance and aerial deployment of troops and the combat preparation of air defense weapons on the ground. But, of course, they did. I guess the highlight of the day was that they admitted the fact that there were some, uh, I suppose, uh, uh, some some... Issues in terms of communication, which was crucial at the early goings of the incident.
2: Meanwhile, today there was a more emergency text message alert. So, the science ministry announced that debris from a retired U.S. satellite that crashed back to Earth on Monday appears to have passed over airspace over the Korean peninsula. The text message initially today said that it could land on Korean
3: soil. But what's the latest? Well, there's no damage reported as if yet. The ministry issued an alert on Monday morning, warning that the retired Earth radiation budget satellite was set to fall back to Earth today after completing its mission nearly 40 years after it was into orbit in 1984 before some of our listeners were born. According to the ministry, while most of the satellite would burn up upon re-entry, people still should remain cautious and call the emergency services if they see any suspected debris. It earlier predicted that the satellite tasked with studying how the Earth absorbed and radiated energy from the sun would crash back between 12.20 p.m. and 1.20 p.m. As a precautionary measure, Incheon International Airport reported that flights nationwide were temporarily grounded for around 44 minutes between 12.10pm and 12.54pm. In other news,
2: uh, inflation is impacting the national pension as well, it seems. The health ministry
3: is making needed changes, accordingly. Can you give us uh, the details? Well, according to the health ministry on Sunday, the national pension benefits will rise 5.1% this year to, of course, reflect inflation. The upward adjustment for around 6.22 million pensioners will take effect this month. Those who receive 1,001 a month are expected to get 1,051,001 starting January. Additional benefits for dependent spouses will also rise by the same rate from 269,630 a year to 283.381 annually. That's all for our news briefing today. Daniel, thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.
2: In his New Year's address, President Yoon suk yeol reaffirmed his commitment to reforming the nation's pension system, which is facing a crisis due to the low birth rate and an aging population. The National Pension Service is on course to be depleted by 2057 under the current system, as it's forecast to post shortfalls starting in 2042. This is a looming crisis set to affect those currently in their twenties and thirties, who contribute part of their income to the national pension scheme every month. To discuss possible reform measures and lessons that can be learned from other countries, we have joining us via video call now Andrew Riley of the Social Policy Division of the OECD Secretariat, who participated in the government's in the organization's report on this very issue. Uh, Mr. Riley, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good evening to you. So in September last year, the OECD released a report titled OECD Reviews of Pension Systems Korea, and it was part of a series of reports on pension systems around the world. And in the Korea edition, it stressed the need to overhaul the system in consideration of the nation's low birth rate and ageing society. Uh, you are one of the authors for that report. Before we get into that, can you tell us about the series of reports itself? How did they come about?
7: Um, basically, as... Yes. You'll be aware the OECD is a member, um, organization. We currently have 38 members and basically the, the reports basically started with, um, the countries and come, coming to the OECD themselves. It's not a, a project that the OECD necessarily promoted. We are encouraging countries to come forward for pension reviews, but it's, it's at the initiation of the country that they want to have a review. So the system, the whole process started in, um, 2014 with Ireland being the first country. So followed by Mexico sixteen, 2016, Latvia in 2018. The latter one was with um, European Commission um, funding, as was Portugal in 2019. And then Peru, who's not a member country, again, we had a review in 2019, followed by Czech Republic in 2020. And then finally, Slovenia and Korea were both completed in 2022. So again, it was the Korean government that approached the OECD to have a pension review.
2: And why would countries uh, look to the OECD for this review? What do they look to gain? Uh,
7: an international comparison primarily, because as I said, we have, we have 38 member countries. Each country's pension system is different. Therefore, when a country is looking to um, initiate reforms, they can learn from other countries. We have the capability of being able to provide recommendations based on what other countries are doing, other countries are considering what is, we can show what has worked, what has not worked in terms of possible reform options.
2: Right. So let's look at the situation in Korea in more detail. Could you briefly describe South Korea's a national pension system and how it works?
7: Uh, well, the overall pension system is, um, sort of completes a couple of, the two-tier system in terms of there's a safe, there's a safety net underlying, but the actual national pension itself is a redistributive system which is fairly common amongst um, defined benefit systems. So defined benefit system is where you have a guaranteed percentage accrual rate for each year of contribution. And then that is at the end of your retirement, you sum up your number of your accrual points, multiply that by whatever your reference wage is, which is used for calculation. That can be final salary. It can be over the last lifetime earnings. It can be over 25, 20 years, depending on what the country does. In Korea's case, it's over the... Um, the lifetime salary used to calculate the pension, or sorry, the last five years in terms of calculating the pension system or the reference wage. Uh, you want pay that by the accrual and that will get your pension. Um, mm-hmm. For the people in low income cases, there's the basic pension, which is used to top up or supplement income for, with the Korean system. Um, Many pensioners now will not have had time to contribute for very long and therefore have no source of retirement income, so they rely on the basic pension as their source of income. Right. Um, Beyond the NPS, there are separate systems for other occupational groups like government workers or military or uh, private school teachers or special post office workers, I believe in the case of Korea, have separate schemes. Those private sector workers are within the
2: NPS side. Right, but then looking at uh, the... uh the primary pension system in Korea what's your overall assessment of it and as we said in the report it said it needs to be reformed why does it need to be reformed
7: well it's since its introduction it's never been it's never been a balanced system and now when it was first introduced the level of contributions that were were made i think it was 1.5 percent for both employees and workers and yet the pension was going to guarantee you 70 percent of your of your wage at the point of retirement. That's it's never been a balanced, economically balanced system. So that's why the the, the pension promises have been drastically reduced down to now forty percent and the contributions have increased, but they still will only increase to nine percent when you combine the employee and worker. So it's still not balanced. Nine percent will not get you a replacement rate guarantee for pension of forty percent. So these these two things currently do not match. So as you mentioned in your introduction, the the system is going to go into um, deficit in 2042, and be, be the fund will be um, zero by 2057. So there's a long time before this sort of um, the pressures apply. But if nothing is done now, then the impact of reform will have to be greater in the future. So the, it needs to be reformed because it's not it's not balanced even its current state is not balanced therefore to avoid greater financial pressures in the future something has to be
2: done well now right and the later uh, it gets reformed the greater the reform will need to be as you said we mentioned at the start that president yes. President Yoon suk yeol has said that he will look to reform the pension system. He is reportedly planning to uh, raise the contribution rates and raise the uh, pension eligibility age. Currently, the age of eligibility for pension is 63 in 2023, <clears throat> but will rise to 65 in 2033. What's your take on this measure? And uh, does it fall in line with uh, some of the recommendations that uh, you have made in the report?
7: Well, yes, we have a number of recommendations made in the report. And the first one that we actually highlight, we, within our executive summary at the start of the report, we list, I think, about nine or 10 different recommendations for the NPS. And they're in order of what we regard as order of, um, critical, basically, which ones should be done, dealt with first. And the first one on that is the introduced, sorry, increase in the contribution rate. As I said, when it's 9% currently, the OECD average is double that. So across countries, the average is double. So some countries do have low replacement or sorry, contribution rates. Yes. Not as low as Korea's and many have higher ones can be up to about 30%. But as the average is, is over 18%, which is double the Korea level. So that's the first thing that needs to be done. Whilst we do include, um, the retirement age in our recommendations, it's only about number six or seven on our list. So it is, it is, a, it will be a factor in the future, but there are more pressing things that we dealt with immediately to rectify sort of more balancing the system. Yes, Korea is going to be the most aged society in the, in the OECD quite quickly. Therefore, having a retirement age of 65 for the long term doesn't appear to make sense and it won't make sense in the long term, but really the other priorities at the moment have to be concentrated in other areas. You know, increasing the retirement age actually will have little impact. In many ways, because there's a, contributions stop at the age of 60. So if you have to retire at 67, for example, and you don't make contributions after the age 60, that's not really going to improve your situation in terms of your pension. Therefore, removing that age 60 criteria is more of um, a priority than increasing the retirement age further at this stage.
2: Right, so the number one priority is increase the contribution rates, and then you said uh, raising the retirement age. The contribution uh, pension eligibility age is perhaps number five or six. What's in between? What are, what other measures uh, are the OECD recommending?
7: Well, as I said, we would recommend after the contribution rate increase, the first thing we'd or the next one would be to remove this age sixteen threshold for when contributions are not mandatory to be made at the age of fifty nine. Fifty nine. Is your last mandatory contribution to the system. So even though no, currently you can't retire until 63 in 2023, the last three years, you're not paying any contributions towards the pension system. That makes no sense. If you're still in employment, you should be contributing. Therefore, you'll increase your pension, which will help reduce poverty. Um, on another side, we, as a general rule within, within countries, we believe that everyone should be under the same pension system. So we would, we would recommend a convergence of the, separate systems that apply to government employees, for example, and they're all everybody is merged under one system. It can be a combination of the two systems in the in the future. Everybody can convert to the NPS rules, everybody can convert to the G E P S rules, but everybody should be under one one pension system. Um, there's also a um, there's a ceiling a wage saving the contributions in that if you earn above a certain amount those the earnings above that level do not um contribute towards the pension gain that should be either raised or eliminated entirely so that everybody very high earners are paying pensions pension contributions on their um their full wage that yeah. will help by um increasing the common wage component which is makes up half of your calculated accrual half of your accrual is based on your contributions and half is based on the overall contribution so by removing the ceiling the overall contribution will naturally increase therefore that benefits everybody um beyond that um the next one before we get to the retirement age would be the um there's a large number of people in the population appear to be exempt from contributions for various reasons within the rules of the system, there needs right. to be a greater um, enforcement of contribution towards the system and that also applies to what we classify as the self employed workers where there is very little um, sort of examination of their actual earnings. So they're paying they're paying contributions mm. on a much lower figure than what they're actually earning, which again lowers the overall component so it has the reverse effect of say removing the wage ceiling, for example currently.
2: Right. So- all in all, just a general expansion of uh, pension contributions uh, throughout uh, the age, throughout the demographic, uh, and that needs to be uh, done as soon as possible. Uh, you're saying, how perhaps challenging do you think it could be? Uh, how does the situation perhaps in Korea compare to other OECD countries, and what perhaps they've had to go through in reforming their systems as well?
7: It will be. It will be challenging for a number of re- I mean, number of reasons. There's a it- There there will be an underlying mistrust of the NPS by the general population because of the number of reforms that have come in place before anybody actually really got a pension. You thought you were going to get, as I said, a 70% um, replacement rate for full trade, and then it went down to 60, then dropped down to 40. There's been a, a gradual whittling down of that entitlement. Therefore, there's going to be a lack of trust. This will be the last reform needed, and it's not going to be reduced further. So you need to have, the need, there needs to be more um, transparency and openness to this, but there also needs to be a political consensus, which is, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not an expert, and I don't know how difficult that is going mm, to be sure. within, within Korea, but, but the examples of other countries, say, for example, Sweden, where the, there is political consensus that the parties all come together to agree on pension reform. So there could be six six or seven political parties all agreeing on this and therefore it doesn't matter who's in government this is still going to be the policy which is adopted because it's, it's been agreed and so you remove you remove the um the sort of pensions being treated as a sort of proverbial political football where it can be passed from one government to another and you don't know who's going to do what you can't have a system where you're sort of You're jumping from, oh yes, we're going to increase pension age. No, we're not going to increase pension age. We're going to increase contributions. No, we're going to lower them again. Going backwards and forwards, there needs to be a consensus to this, but you can also achieve that by having more, um, information being provided to members of the NPS. You can actually show them, right? This is what you're contributing. This is what you're going to get. If you contribute two, three percentage points more, you will get this as a pension. It shows people how they're going to, what they're, what their payments are going to get them in the long term. Um, in terms of what of other countries, as I said, there's the example of Sweden with the um, having the political consensus. Um, although it's not as I said we've said earlier, it's not a key priority. But the um, the retirement age is always the a relatively straightforward one to do in terms of applying a life expectancy link to it with mm. future increases. Again, that removes the political element to it because it's. It's a set factor. If life expectancy increases by one year, we're going to increase pension age by whatever, two-thirds is the, or sorry, one-third is the common application to maintain the two-thirds, one-third working life balance. Some countries have gone for -for one-for-one the short-term measure to dramatically increase their pension age quickly. But again, it removes a political element to it and it's a set formula is applied, so it takes it out of that their hands or you just go for the long-term hmm, sure. plans again where you're you have the united states for example introduced an increase from retirement age it was legislated in 1983 but it didn't come in until the start of this century so it's a 20-year lag in terms of when it was um legislated to when it's actually introduced again it removes a political element because the government the person in power 20 years ago is not going to be the person in power when it comes
2: right. in so it's going to be challenging, um, certainly it sounds like, uh, for the UN administration and for future administrations. But uh, this is an issue that, uh, to put it bluntly, simply needs to be responded to before it's too late. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. we were speaking to Andrew Riley from the OECD. Thank you for your insights today.
7: Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: Welcome to the Korea24 Stock and Forex update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 60.22 points, or 2.63% on Monday, closing the day at 2,350.19. The tech heavy KOSDAQ also rose, gaining 12.27 points, or 1.78%, to close the day at 701.21. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 25.11 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,243.51. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr.
2: Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us in the studio. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Chang-ho. It's always good to see you. Okay, so what stories have you brought for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about uh, the top
5: pharmaceutical companies' plans to address a shortage of powdered flu medicine for children. We'll also learn about the case of a leukemia patient who died a week after being given an expired intravenous sugar solution. And finally, we'll find out what ruling a Seoul court issued for South Korean composer and singer Don Spike, who has been charged with drug use and possession. Okay, let's get into that first story then. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so a shortage of flu medicine in powdered form for children is set to be resolved around the Lunar New Year's holidays, which will begin on January 21st. Now, starting this month, the nation's top pharmaceutical companies are set to supply in large scales such prescription medication that helps fight the flu. Now, Hanmi Pharmaceutical announced that it will provide 50,000 bottles of its flu powder every month from January to March. This medicine is taken after mixing it with water and is often prescribed to young children who can't swallow
2: pills. I see. So this is a prescribed flu medication for children. I understand that other companies are planning to supply more of such medicine as well. That's correct. So
5: according to the Korean Pharmaceutical Association, Jonggundang Pharmaceutical and Colin Pharma will further boost the production of children's flu medicine in response to calls from the Food and Drug Safety Ministry. The ministry confirmed that it had requested the companies to expand production and that the firm said they will consistently produce the medicine as its demand
2: is set to surge around the holiday. And this has come about because there's been a sharp number of uh, children who have caught the flu this winter, right? Yeah, that's correct. So as of the end of
5: last month, the number of children aged six or under, as well as elementary school students suspected of having the flu, grew fivefold compared to the previous month. The latest move comes after the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency began releasing Tamiflu and other flu-treating prescription drugs from its stockpiles on Monday to address a wide spread of influenza. However, the agency did not include the powder versions for children among the products
2: that are being released from government reserves. Right, Perhaps due to the fact that schools have uh, pretty much all returned to normal after the COVID-19 pandemic, we are seeing this spike, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to address this issue quickly. Let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us? Yes. So some very sad news. A leukaemia patient who was being
5: treated at a university hospital in Seoul was found to have been given an intravenous sugar solution that had expired. And this patient died a week after getting the solution. Now, the 21 year old patient, surnamed Chong, was diagnosed with acute leukemia last May and began receiving intensive chemotherapy from mid November. Now, Chong was given an intravenous sugar solution at around 4 a.m. on November 27th and died a week later after showing signs of sepsis. It turns out the deceased had suffered a CRE infection. CRE refers to bacteria that are resistant to some powerful antibiotics. Okay, first, how did it become known that the solution had expired? Well, Chong's father noticed that the solution had a use-by date that expired more than two months prior. Now, this discovery came the morning after the solution was given to the patient. By that time, some 100 millimetres had already been injected into Chong's body. And what's been the response from the hospital? Okay, so the hospital has admitted to using an expired solution. However, it has been quick to add that it believes it was not what directly caused Chong's death, citing that the solution passed a conformity assessment by the pharmaceutical company that made the medication. The hospital did acknowledge that it failed to check supplies and return expired items. It also admitted that the nurse who had given Chong the solution had failed to check the expiration date. Now, experts say while it is hard to conclude that the patient died from the solution, the hospital's handling of the product clearly constitutes malpractice. Now, Chong's family has requested mediation to the Korea Medical Dispute Mediation and Arbitration Agency
2: over the latest incident. Right, this expired solution might not have led directly to the patient's death but it does point to possible deficiencies in the hospital's uh, safety standards meaning that there could be other situations like this Sounds like a thorough view will be needed. Okay, let's uh, move on to our final story. What else has been trending today? The Seoul Northern District Court on Monday sentenced the 46 year old
5: singer, whose real name is Kim Min Su, to three years in prison, suspended for five years. The court also ordered Kim to undergo 200 hours of rehabilitation treatment and pay
2: nearly 40 million won in fines. That's around 32,000 US dollars. Yes, we had dealt with the popular composer's story when news first emerged about his drug la- drug use last summer. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about what he's accused of doing for some of our listeners who are perhaps hearing about this story for the first time? Yeah, sure. So Kim is accused of
5: purchasing forty-five million one or thirty-six thousand U.S. dollars worth of the stimulant drug methamphetamine or meth on nine occasions and using the drug a total of fourteen times. He's also accused of handling handing out to other people meth and another stimulant drug. Drug, ecstasy on seven occasions, while also possessing 20 grams of meth, he was apprehended at a hotel in Seoul's Gangnam district on the 20, September twenty sixth of last year. He admitted to the charges against him two days later during a court deliberation over the prosecution's request for an arrest warrant. Is the ruling close to what the prosecution had sought for him? Well, the sentencing was lighter as prosecutors had sought a five-year prison sentence for the composer. In making the request, the prosecution said, though the singer has admitted to most of the charges against him, he should be sentenced to five
2: years in prison given the nature of his crimes involved. Right, so he has avoided spending time in prison for now, but we'll see if it does go to an appeals court as well. That's what we'll wrap it up for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. It's time now for us to get the latest Korean sporting news updates in our weekly segment, Monday Sports Roundup. And joining us on the line to bring us the latest results, developments, and previews is sports journalist Yujiho from the Yonhap News Agency. Jiho, hello. It's uh, great to have you on, as always.
6: Yeah, it's great to be here too.
2: So, as we flagged up last week, the Korean roster for the World Baseball Classic has been announced. The national team manager Igangchul announced the 30-man squad on Wednesday. And Gio, I understand that three major league players have been named, including the half-Korean player Tommy Edmund, the infielder for the St. Louis Cardinals.
6: Right. Uh, Edmund was born to an American father and a Korean mother uh, in the state of Michigan, and he's the first half-Korean player to don Korean uniform uh, at an international competition in baseball. Uh, he's the 2021 uh, a National League Gold Glove winner at second base. He was a finalist at the same position last year as well. He can also play very good shortstop. Uh, he will form a pretty good double play combo with one other major league player on the team, Kim ha Song from the San Diego Padres. And of course, Kim was the finalist in Gold Glove at shortstop last year. Uh, Choi Ji-man of the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, also named to the team. But he's a question mark at this point because he had undergone elbow surgery back in November. He's in a bit of a time crunch to get ready for the tournament. You know, Che actually went back, left for the U.S. Sunday afternoon, and he said he's going to have the Pirates team trainer kind of check up on his uh, physical physical condition before giving him the final, uh, I guess, the green light to play for uh, Korea at the WBC. Mm. Uh, He's not actually played for Korea in quite some time not as a senior anyway so he's a really uh, uh, desperate uh, to represent the country one final time and teams can change actually their rosters for medical reasons before the February 7th deadline um, so if Che cannot go uh, other options include first base uh, first baseman Park Byung-ho and of course his teammate K. T. with Kang Ko. Uh, so overall 15 pitchers Two catchers, five outfielders and eight infielders. Uh, Korea will have some great defenders too. Uh Oji Wan, the uh, you know, who's the best defensive shortstop in the KBO, he's gonna be a backup to either Edmund or Kim Kim sung And also Pakim in the center fielder, also for the LG Twins, great defensive center fielder. He could be useful uh, defensive replacement off the bench.
2: Right. One notable absence was the reigning ERA leader and strikeout king, Anujin. That is because of off-field issues. He didn't get picked because of the bullying history that has dogged him throughout his pro career, right?
6: Right. You know, Anujin was easily the best starting pitcher in the KBO last year. Uh, led the league with a 2.11 ERA, 224 strikeouts, and he really would have been a no-brainer pick under normal circumstances. But the national team staff decided they did not want to deal with the controversy that would have come with. Picking Anujin. Uh, optics would not have been all that great in that case. You know, there's a debate about whether Anujin is being unfairly punished for something he has already been suspended for. He had a 50 game suspension from his KBO team, Kyung Heroes, back in 2018, right out of high school. Uh, also, he has a lifetime ban from the Olympic Games and the Asian Games. Now, the WBC is a pro competition. The ban does not apply. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think the General consensus is that he did not really help himself at the end of last season when he claimed that, uh, you know, some of his high school, I guess, victims of his abuse claimed that they were not, you know, kind of, they were not abused as severely as people thought. So oh. and he kind of tried to play that angle, but I think it kind of backfired on him. Um, you know, people thought maybe he wasn't taking this as seriously as maybe he should have. So ultimately national team kind of left him off the team so they're gonna to have to rely on old horses like kim kwangin and yang yang-jong uh, plus some some decent bullpen armies but uh, anu definitely definitely would have helped korea on the field
2: yes uh, it's the reason why he wasn't picked for the Dong-won award last year as well the mm-hmm. award given to the best pitcher of this season but uh, as you said such comments uh by and certainly don't help the situation. I don't think many fans will particularly miss him uh, with that sort of attitude as well. Uh, Looking at the overall lineup then, Jiho, what do you make of the team? Do they have a good shout for the WBC uh, title?
6: Um, The title is going to be a little difficult, I would think. Uh, You look at teams like the U.S., the defending champions, and Japan, they're really stacked with the major major league talent. And also with Japan, their domestic league players are really, really good. So Mm. Uh, I think on paper, Korea will be in a dogfight to get to, let's say, uh, semifinals. Uh, I think they should, they should be able to get to the quarterfinals. But uh, playing either Cuba or uh, Chinese Taipei uh, in the quarters, I think uh, that's going to be a first hurdle. But uh, if Korea gets past that semifinals, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a monopoly be better from their point on, I think.
2: Sure. Well, the preparations start in earnest now. The competition uh, begins on March eighth. Let's turn to the latest from the women's volleyball. Now, the Hunguk Life Pink Spiders fired their head coach and general manager last week, despite being in second place in the league and in contention for a championship. Apparently, the coach got pushed out because the ownership wasn't happy with his lineup decisions. Uh, we talked about it briefly on Career Trending last week, but Gio, can you tell us more about what's been going on?
6: Yeah, so the coach Kwon Chan and the ger- general manager Kim Hyo were both uh, sacked uh, last week, just after the halfway point in the season. So the latest development is kind of bizarre, actually. To 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 kind of recap. So after Kwon Sun Chan got fired, his assistant, Yi Yong soo was promoted to the interim post. But he stepped down after one match, which the team won. Uh, but he stepped down because he was in the same boat as Kwon Sun Chan. Uh, he didn't want to um, sort of play to, he didn't want to dance to the ownership tune. Mm-hmm. So he kind, he kind of stepped down. And they named, they named last year's senior assistant, Kim Gee Jung, as the new head coach. But uh, for some reason, he was not available for Sunday's match, which the team also won. So they've gone 2-0 without without a head coach uh, in this turmoil. Now, the situation kind of boils down to this. The ownership group uh, was telling, was really meddling or getting in the way of the on-court decisions by the staff. Mm. And the coaching staff would have none of it. And the ownership said, you know what? You guys are out the door. You're you're fired. Uh, The players know about it. Uh, Kim Young, the captain, the, uh, the conscience of the team, the best player, she even said, oh, there are some times when we try to listen to what the owners are saying, we ended up losing those matches. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on with that team. Uh, coaches of other teams also, uh, they're saying they're flabbergasted with the decision. Obviously, they try not to say too much about another team's situation, but, you know, they know what's going on. Uh, obviously, not ideal. Fans not happy with the situation. Uh, players trying to do the best they can to stay focused on the on the matches but uh, it's been a very difficult season for them so far
2: yeah it's been a rather turbulent couple of years for the women's Mm v-league hasn't it last year there was another uh controversial coach dismissal scandal with the uh, hwasong ibk altos Um, what do you think it says about the league uh the reputation of the league
6: well, it, it, it obviously doesn't help, but I think it kind of shows how these corporate owners how they don't really take uh, you know athletics that seriously. Uh, you know, they think they can run the show uh, from upstairs, even though they haven't played a minute of volleyball. Uh, you know, that used to be kind of the way things went about in maybe some other sports,
5: mm-hmm. uh, and the
6: corporate owners would kind of you know put their own 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 people in the front office. And have them on the show uh, from from the from the desks or whatever. Uh, so you know, they're, they're, the volleyball. I think we you know this problem is probably not new, mm. uh, but there is being exposed now because there's so much more attention uh, to volleyball these days. is is a popular league, but uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. I think uh, at, at this point in, in, in the season because they've in you know, the Hong Kong left they've they've been playing well. And Kim Young kyung is back, right, and right. they've been selling out every, pretty much every road game. So the ratings are up there as well. But uh, to have something like this happen, to kind of you know, put the cold water on and everything, so it's really frustrating, I think, from that point, from, the, from that perspective.
2: Yes, it's only raised a few eyebrows, to say the least. OK, let's wrap up with some football news because Korean coaches have taken over the Southeast Asian Men's Football Championship. Three of the four teams in the semifinals are coached by Korean coaches, and we could potentially have an all-Korean final.
6: Yeah, so this is going on in the AFF Championship. Uh, in one semifinal, we've got a battle of two Korean petitions, Shin Tae-yong in, in Indonesia versus Park Hang-seo's Vietnam. The other side... Malaysia, coached by Kim Pangon, uh, they're up against the Thailand. So Malaysia won the first leg 1-0 last week. The second leg is Tuesday night. Uh, Indonesia, Vietnam had a scoreless draw in the opening leg and the second leg Monday night in Hanoi. And the final will also be two leg uh, January 13th and 16th. And there's a bit of interesting uh, uh, tension between Park Hang-seo's team and uh, Shin Tae-yong's team. So after the first game, uh, Park said he felt Vietnam was still a stronger team, they were a better team. And Shin said if Vietnam were better, you know, maybe they should have won the match. And uh, at a press conference before the second leg, uh, Shin Tae-yong said he felt Indonesia had improved by lifts and bounds. Uh, at least they think they were on part with Vietnam. And Park Hang-seo said, well, you know what? Uh, he shouldn't say those things until Indonesia actually wins the match. So uh, Also, they didn't actually shake hands after the first one. Uh, first match Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches react to whatever happens in the second leg.
2: Sure it sounds like it's been a very testy fair indeed hopefully at the end of the second leg the two will be able to uh, calm down a bit and shake hands as well. Uh, We'll end it there Uh, Gio thank you for the updates have a great week and we'll talk to you next time. You too thanks for having me. And that's all from us today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Quan and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.
0: You're now listening to Korea
3: 24. It's
2: time to finish up the show with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features and reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And our staff editor Richard Larkin has joined us in the studio now to tell us about what he's seen. Richard, hello. It's uh, good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. So what's caught your eye first for tomorrow? Well, I have some good news for people
1: who plan on transferring to another country via Incheon Airport. According to Kim Hyeon's article in the Life and Style section of the Korea Herald, the airport has relaunched its daily transit tour programme
2: for the first time since it was halted in 2020. Brian, I'm guessing COVID-19 was the reason for the programme to be halted in the first place. Yes. Uh, Can you walk us through what this tour programme is about? Well, they are free tours that allow passengers to visit major attractions
1: during their transfer waiting time. Round-trip tour buses will take these passengers to certain destinations and they are led by professional guides. There are seven different tours in total, four more than in previous years. Sounds interesting. So, what attractions can visitors see on these tours? Well, they are organized by theme. For example, past and present, which takes visitors to the former presidential office Cheongwade and Tongin Market. Then there is tradition, which goes to Gyeongbukgu Palace and Insadong. These are just two examples of the tours. You can find out all the information about the programs and reservation guidelines on the Incheon Airport website. Okay, and how can people register? Well, so it's on a first-come, first-served basis, and you can reserve your spot at the information desks in Terminals 1 and 2. One important thing to note is that a Korean Electronic Travel Authorization, also known as a KETA, is easy to go on the tour. Or if you have a South Korean
2: visa, that's okay as well. Yeah, so I had a quick look online and tours can last from as little as 30 minutes, which is just some activities in the airport, or up to five hours. And there really are a wide variety of options from uh, shopping or even go up to the inter-Korean border, I mm-hmm. believe. So for those who do have a long transit time in Incheon Airport, this is definitely uh, something worthwhile to seek out, I feel. Right, yeah. OK, let's move on to our next story. What do you have for us?
1: Next is Kim Ran's article in the Entertainment and Art section of the Korea Times. Apparently, the K-pop girl group New Jeans is receiving malicious comments from Chinese online users after promoting Korea's traditional paper, Hanji. Okay, so why are they receiving malicious comments then? Well, before I get into that, let me just explain what happened from the start. Mm. The group appeared in a Hanji promotional video that was organised by the Korea Craft and Design Foundation, which is an affiliate of the Ministry of Culture. In the video, the members wear the traditional Korean dress hanbok and they discuss the distinct features of the traditional paper. For example, how it's made, its durability and its long history. They also experienced hanji making with an expert called Chi Yong. The video ends with the members
2: saying that they have learned more about hanji and they hope that people will use it more in everyday life. Okay, that sounds like a pretty innocuous educational video that you would see with celebrities. So why the negative response from Chinese online users? That's because the users
1: claim that it's cultural appropriation. The claims are that Korea is trying to steal its traditional culture because China invented paper. Korean online users have responded by saying that News Genes never said that paper making was originated from uh, Korea. The group just talked about Korea's traditional way of making paper. Hmm. There were also comparisons to items like smartphones and pasta. They were created in the US and Italy, but nearly every country uses
2: them. Okay, so this is part of a larger dispute between South Korea and China that's been going on for several years now. Mm. There have been various things about Korean culture that China or some groups of uh, online Chinese users have laid apparent claim over, including Mm. kimchi and hanbok as well. It looks like this is the latest item that uh, they are disputing over, but it's hardly New Jeans' fault, of course. It's a bit harsh to get them involved in this, spat. hopefully they are dealing with it okay. OK, we'll wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's all from us today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Quan jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.
4: CBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in case of high levels of fine dust. Before going outside, check the air quality by visiting online resources or checking your local weather forecast. When the level of fine dust is high, avoid outdoor activities such as hiking, biking or field sports. Wear protective gear such as masks, glasses and hats. Close your windows, doors and dry your laundry inside. Wash your face often and make sure to also blow your nose regularly. If you have to leave your home try to use public transportation in order to reduce air pollution. Take a shower after returning home to avoid skin irritation and rinse your sinuses if possible. Before preparing food wash your hands and make sure to wash fruit and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures.